Hello, TFC community. Welcome to episode number one of Black and White Conversations. Ashley and I are going to be doing a series of six episodes on a monthly basis with the intention of improving, understanding, and sharing our life and learning experiences in hopes of creating some nuanced dialogue about a topic that seems to be tearing us all apart. Our hope is that these episodes will invite anyone of any color, of any background to engage in the learning process with us and hopefully see things from both perspectives. We know racism is a big problem, but until we have open conversations without the fear of saying the wrong thing, it's going to be really difficult to come together and build a better society we can all be proud of. That's the goal of these podcasts. These podcasts will be on the Foot Collective YouTube channel. And before every new episode that we record, Ashley and I are going to make sure to go and check out the comments and respond to any questions or inputs people might have uh, before we get into the topic of that next episode. Black and White Conversations is all about learning. So there's no sponsors, but if you want more resources to go deeper in your learning journey, you can head to thefootcollective.com and click on the End Racism tab. We're going to be constantly evolving that page. So if you have any suggestions, please leave those on the YouTube comment section for each of these podcasts, and we'll make sure to add those. In this first episode, Ashley and I introduce each other and our backgrounds. We introduce the intentions for the show. We go through some of the history of how the USA was founded, and we finish with a few personal stories. It was a pleasure speaking with Ashley, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Let's dig into it. It's the TFC Audio Project. Hello, wonderful humans. Welcome to the premiere episode of Black and White Conversations, where Ashley Harper and myself look to make sense of the present moment. Our aim is to contribute constructive input to the conversation of racial discrimination by sharing stories, by, and more importantly, by discussing the nuance of the, this complex topic. So, you know, the title might be called Black and White Conversations, but really this show is all about digging into the gray in between. Ashley, thank you for taking the time uh, and, uh, you know, for sharing your perspective as we go through this. So uh, welcome to the show. And uh, yeah, thanks again for being available. Thank you. Thank you so much, Nick. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. You're very welcome. Well, I can't think of a better person um, to have this conversation with and maybe even a good place, you know, people are used to hearing my voice, but uh, you're a new voice. So I think a good place to start is maybe to um, introduce yourself, you know, who you are, where you're from, what gets you out of bed in the morning. And, uh, and then I'll give a brief intro of myself and then we can start to dig into things. Absolutely. Well, again, thank you, Nick, for having me. And I am so honored to be here. My name is Ashley Harper, as the famous Nick just said. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I, um, I live in Texas and I am a Southern Belle from Georgia, and I I love learning. I love love. I love to understand people and things, and um, you know that's really what drives me every single day to do everything that I do. And I just every day just seek to center myself and to to understand people. And I believe that everything else that we're searching for. Um, health-wise, um, sleep-wise, eating-wise, it just all sustains itself once you are grounded. And so um, that's what gets me out of bed every day, just the opportunity to understand someone, um, to love someone, to learn something. And um, that's, that's really, in a nutshell, who I am. I, I know that isn't as exciting, exciting as you guys are used to hearing from Nick, because he it's just kind of everything, but stop. I'm not that excited. <laughs> and you're a mom. You're a mom too. 
Oh, yes. I'm a mommy. I have two beautiful, uh, sweet little angels. Um, my daughter, I have my oldest is four and my youngest is two. And, you know, that's uh, pretty much my career. Full time <laughs> job. When I'm not working, I clock out and I clock in back home and mommy, mommy, mommy. But <laughs> it's the most beautifully chaotic world. I mean, I, I wouldn't ask for anything. I, I couldn't imagine having a better career, if you will. So, yes, mom. And uh, yeah, 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 you're right. How can I mom, forget about those things? <laughs> moms don't get enough uh, credit. Like, it, what a hard job. And, you know, it's talk about, we talk about how you need to love what you do for work in order for it to be sustainable. And I think that's the biggest thing that gets moms through. I mean, I don't have kids, but I do speak with uh, mothers and, you know, the struggles and, and the amazingness of bringing life into the world and seeing them grow up. And it's like, uh, there's not enough credit and, and it's really hard to do justice in explaining how difficult it is to, and how big the responsibility is to raise young humans to becoming, you know, adults that can function in society, but not just function, but thrive and have good relationships. And, um, so yeah, I mean, you got, you got two full-time careers at home apart from what you have to do to earn money. So you're a busy lady. And once again, thank you for, you know, taking time out of your day. I know time is the most precious resource we have. And um, I appreciate you dedicating some of it to help have these conversations that I don't think are being had, or at least, um, you know, aren't being had in the right medium. And we'll talk about kind of what that means. So, um, I, I mean, I talk on the podcast a lot, but I don't think I've ever given a formal introduction. So my name, for anyone listening for the first time, because really the goal for this show is to go beyond our typical listenership, right? For people to want to share this and include more people in the conversation. So my name is Nick St. Louis. Um, I'm a white man. I'm born and raised in Ottawa. And apart from a brief time living in Australia when I was younger, I've lived in Ottawa, Canada my whole life. Uh, I'm a foot nerd. And that's actually how Ashley and I know each other. Ashley is part of the global foot nerd community. Um, and I'm just really just a curious human that likes to play. And I'm trying to make sense of this world, which at a time like this can be a little bit difficult, but it's always a fun challenge. And although my primary interest is health, I love digging into the weeds when it comes to complex topics that people have trouble discussing. And the topic of racial discrimination and you know what we're being left with as this residual effect of the history definitely fits the bill of something complex. So, um, so yeah. And how about we talk about why we wanted to have this conversation? So you know, I'll give a bit of context and my goal on this is to do less of the talking. So that's not going very well so far, but I'll, I'll, I promise I'll be better. <laughs> um, so on June 3rd, what stimulated this, I think is important to give people some backstory. And on June 3rd, I did a post on Instagram. It was called, uh, I titled it personal position statement from Nick St. Louis. And the post was done in sort of the peak of this racism conversation, just erupting. Uh, following the death of George Floyd. And it really was in response from pressure from people in the TFC community that um, wanted me to contribute to the conversation. And I found it really tough because I really was very, I wasn't very informed on the conversation. Um, and, you know, the post unintentionally stimulated a lot of anger and um, emotions. And after a couple conversations the next day, I really realized that racism and racial discrimination was a huge blind spot for me. And so I kind of did like I do with any other things that I realized I don't understand is began a learning journey and tried to improve my understanding. And I really felt that, you know, Ashley, you were the first one that came to my mind. I was like, I think conversations like anything, conversations are the antidote to confusion. 
And I couldn't think of a better, better person to have these conversations with. And, you know, we have, we've been in intermittent communication. I really love the stuff that you send me all of Dr. CB. Do you say Sebi or CB? You know, I, I believe it's Dr. Sebi and forgive me for anyone out there if I'm <laughs> saying that wrong. So please, please hold me accountable and correct me. But I believe it's Dr. Sebi. Yes. Dr. Sebi. I loved his stuff. I think those little newsletters were extremely powerful at making the complex simple when it came to food and um, nutrients and our relationship with food. But, we, you know, we kind of had intermittent conversations, but I really felt that, you know, my perspective as a Canadian white male and your perspective as a black female from Texas would give really polar perspectives and could really allow us to have these nuanced conversations. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Because you were excited when I first contacted you and um, you know, what were your initial thoughts and, you know, why do you think these conversations are going to be important? Well, I was real, I was really, um, like I said, I'm honored to have, to be able to be here and, and to have this conversation with you, you know, for all the listeners out there, you know, hopefully I can kind of convince Nick to come search through some sort of database. You know, when you have the radio or podcast and you hear the little, sound effects in the background. So (laughs) when I finally got a chance to speak with a date, because it's not often, and I'm sure a lot of listeners can, you know, validate my, my stance here that um, you don't see a lot of visibility with companies. Not very Mm -hmm. often do you see the owner or um, if you see the owner, it's often at a red carpeted event or, you know, in a print magazine or something, but not many owners take that effort to make themselves visible and to make themselves available and to not just say, this is my specialty. I'm going to tell you how to do it, but you don't often see someone in the the trenches with us doing it, doing the the foot exercises with us, showing us by example. And so when I finally connected with Nick and he asked me this question, I felt like this little leprechaun, like sliding down this rainbow <laughs> and it's like, you know, and I finally like hit the gold pot at the bottom. I'm like, Oh my goodness. So I couldn't, aside from, you know, me being excited to have this conversation with, you know, someone that I really, whose perspective I value and opinion I, I seek and, um, you know, who is a great example of a leader, I just thought, wow, what a great person to talk to and have this conversation. And especially on such a big platform. And you have, I mean, we're all a collective, all of everyone's listening today. We're, we're all in this together. You know, we're all here at the Foot Collective and we're listening to this podcast because we share a common desire for knowledge. We crave knowledge. We want to know, we want to know we want, when, we, when we're presented with a fact or we're presented with this, we're often the ones that ask why, 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 until our spirit is settled somewhere. Right. And so um, I was, when you said this, I was really excited to be a part of it. I was kind of, you know, I, I didn't feel quite uh, qualified for it, um, but I- I still don't feel qualified for anything <laughs> I do, so it's okay. <laughs> well, join the club. That makes two of us. So, but no, I, I, I was excited and, um, I'm just, you know, I, I really, I can't find the words to quite express. And when I do, I'll be sure to let everyone know, but I'm honored to be here. And, um, you know, I'm, uh, I identify as a, a black woman. Um, my 
ancestral lineage is very, very mixed. So I do have quite um, an interesting perspective. Um, and we'll delve into that more as we kind of, you know, get into the podcast and, and expand our topics and everything. But um, I'm excited to share my journey and my experience with everybody. Amazing. Well, I think like right now uh, we're prepping to, to launch the mind module in the Footner program. So I'm, I've been working on gratitude the past couple of days and, and kind of researching it. Like what is the science behind it? And when it comes to gratitude, you are one of the top people that comes to mind as a role model, because I think, I mean, the, the Cole's notes on what I've learned so far is that people who are most grateful are most happy. Um, and you are always an extremely happy human when I talk to you and it's, it's like literally invigorates me to follow your example. And just, you're always so thankful. You always make me blush and it's, uh, you know, I, I'm very appreciative of that, but I also think that like, you're we'll just turn on the a, camera and let it see it. But it's just, you're so appreciative of everything. And I think it serves as a great example to be more grateful of what we have and not, and I just, I really appreciate you, um, Ashley, and uh, thank you for the kind words. So, you know, our intentions with this, um, you know, people talk about having difficult conversations, but I, I think conversations are important, but the word difficult I have an issue with because I don't think these are difficult. If you're having a conversation with the right person, they don't have to be difficult because learning is the goal and improved understanding is the goal. And in order to, to meet that goal, you have to be wrong. You have to have... Low, you, you can't have fear of being judged or being wrong. And I think you said it well, where this whole medium, these whole, these conversations, series of conversations we're going to have are sort of underlined by this um, air of understanding and love and compassion. And the fact that, you know what, sometimes people say things that come off different from what their intention was. Sometimes people say the wrong things. And I know that I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to say the wrong thing. And they're going to be interpreted in a different way. But that's how you learn. And I think a conversation is really how we give nuance to this because, you know, what's your take on what you're seeing on social media? Because I think social media is just a terrible medium for meaningful discussion or meaningful um, debate on topics. And, you know, from what you've seen, you know, I, I just, I feel like there's big problems with social media when it comes to talking about these things. What's your take on that? You know, I think, I believe social media initially probably um, maybe meant well and had good intentions. But of course, with, you know, the, the just the happenings that are happening all over the world, it's just inevitable that people are going to um, have something to say about it. And what we all, I think what is important to realize is there's always going to be like you, like you said, that that polar, you know, you're going to have that polarization on, on both ends. But I think it's really important to just be able to don't be afraid to, to ask, don't be afraid to inquire. Um, I think, you know, now that I'm a mother and I have, you know, two daughters and I come from a, a fairly large family, um, you know, it's really interesting to see how children learn and mm -hmm. children learn. It's a product of our environment. We're shaped by the things our parents say, you know, most of the time or guardian or anybody that's over us. And oftentimes we're taught not to challenge authority. We're taught not to, 
because it's a sign of disrespect. You know, if you ask questions as a child, don't ask why, you just do what I tell you to do. And I think that carries over no matter from what background you're from, we can all relate to that. All of us listeners can relate to our parents saying, you know, this is grown folks discussion or, you know, you're a child. And so I think that may have a little bit of play into kind of what's going on is that now that people are, there's some truths that are being um, brought up and people's experiences are being brought to light and they're hoping that they can communicate that to people but there's still that child inside of a lot of us that is like, oh man, you know, I was given this information by my mom and dad, or I was given this information by my school. I don't want to challenge it. You know, I'm, I'm 30 years old. I'm 40 years old. I'm 50. I'm 60. I'm 70. This is the mm-hmm. life I've lived. And so there's a part of, there's a little bit of apprehension there. There's a, a lot of mixed emotions. And so it's okay to give yourself grace about that. You know, we talk about that a lot, Nick, about, giving ourselves grace and loving ourselves and having compassion within ourselves to say, you know what? I, I truly don't know this. Like you were saying earlier, I, I don't know as much as I think I should know about this. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm an adult and I have the ability to delve into this and ask questions. And you know what, no matter what my mom thinks, no matter what my friends think or what I even think of myself, I know that there's something more that I need to to know, or there's something, and there's always that little something, go after that. And so I think with the social media platform, it's just such divisiveness. There's, you know, literally and figuratively, there's black and white. And so our goal with myself and Nick is really to just create a gray area. We welcome every perspective. We welcome, if you're someone out there and you are die hard. You, you stick to what you've known and what you've learned. You don't challenge it. We need that here. We need your perspective as well. For those who crave knowledge and you just want to know why, well, we already know you where, how you ended up here. If you're someone who you just, maybe you're just kind of in the middle, you know, you, maybe you have equally this experience and friends of this background or whatever, and you just really don't know, but you want to be informed and you want to be able to help. That's why we're here. And so we want to create a a safe environment where everyone from every perspective, every background, every ancestral lineage, every passionate person behind whatever you feel passionate about, we we want you, we welcome you here, and we want you in this great area. Nick and I aren't the experts, you know, like we said earlier, we both feel, we don't feel very qualified (laughs) to be where we are, but we are grateful and we realize this is bigger than us. And so we don't, we, we welcome you. We welcome anyone that you invite. You don't have to tell anybody you're listening. You might have a group of people who might be like, oh, you know, whatever, because you're listening. Don't tell them, you know, just listen and invite people as you feel moved to. And, um, you know, maybe even take a little breather from social media and just join us so we can just kind of iron things out and um, and just create understanding and do it with love. And um, that's why we're here. So very well said, Ashley. Yeah. And I think I think you said a really cool thing this morning when we chatted before recording is you said, we, you know, you mentioned humanizing the conversation. Right. This is not a, um, a white issue. This is not a black issue. This is a human this should be a human conversation. 
And I think bringing that perspective um, is a very refreshing one because it is not, I mean, you say that on social media and you instantly just get roasted for saying you're taking away from the issues that black people are having. And it's like, well, that's not the intention. The intention is to welcome people because the goal here is we need to have a stadium where people can all come together. We need to pave a better future through understanding and reconnecting. And like you said, I really think that social media polarizes people. And I think a lot of people that are willing to come to the table and have conversations get turned off because it's like, if you say one wrong thing that wasn't actually supposed to mean what it maybe it came off as meaning you just get fried and people you know like you see you know white people cannibalizing other white people like it's a competition to see who is more virtuous and it's really toxic because it's literally turning people off from what we should be going towards and um you know i think the thing that you said about all being kids and having this like subtle fear of challenging authority um, I think that is huge, but I also think there's this ego element where we all want to think that we know the truth and, you know, the admission that you don't know. Um, I think for some people, this is a tough admission to make. Like you see this in the world of health and medicine, like the um, reluctance to admit that you're wrong, right? And it's not about being wrong. It's really just about learning, right? Like knowledge is impermanent. It, it's this this thing that exists for a tiny period of time and then gets replaced by new knowledge. And if we're stuck in that tiny period of time, we kind of get left behind. And I think that's where some of these, um, some of the, you know, arguments come from. Some of the polarization comes from is these people unwilling to at least hear people out. And it's not, you know, people don't have to agree with us, but at least be willing to hear out different perspectives. And I think that is the, you know, a conversation with people Act, talking in good faith and willing to hear each other out is the antidote to all the problems that we're seeing on social media. So absolutely. You have to be able to have those conversations and conversations are not, they're not easy. And especially when it involves a dark element, you know, right. when it involves suffering, when it involves brutality, when it involves oppression, those are things we don't want to talk about. Those are mm -hmm. things that hurt to even talk about. I mean, and there's people out here who've never experienced an ounce of any of those things and how blessed you are, but it probably still hurts your soul to hear those words. I mean, it's like a, a beating in your soul to hear them. And so no one wants to talk about them, but when you, when you tell someone you love them, and I mean, from a, from a friendship standpoint, your husband, your wife, your children, you're saying that I love you and you're committed to loving that person through and through, but you're committed to inspiring that person, that person, encouraging that person and holding that person accountable. And so what that means, how, what I believe that is, is, you know, so often and, and taking even going to a slightly different topic, but it all kind of ties in together from the standpoint of being human and being able to have compassion and empathy. Um, you may, there's some people out there that, you know, you enable a family member. Maybe you have someone that's struggling in some sort of addiction and, and you enable that person. And there's something about that person that you love them so much and you want them to feel like that they're always loved and they can always come to you. And they do. 
but then each time they come to you about something and you know you're enabling them, you know that you're doing something wrong. <clears throat> Pardon me. And so you have to be able to hold people accountable and, and say and do it in a loving way, in a truthful way, from truth, from love and with the willingness to understand each other. You don't have to agree with everybody. We're not supposed to all agree, but we should all aim to understand each other. And um, people should be able to look back on their life and, and you should be able to see a timeline in your life and say, man, when I was in my teens, I thought this way, I acted this way. When I was in my 20s and 30s, I thought this way and acted this way. And sometimes even for myself last week, I'll learn something and go, oh my gosh, I learned that makes so much sen- more sense to me now, or it makes sense in a different way. And so um, give yourself grace. Know that it's okay to say, man, I stood beside something that I believed for almost all my life. And then I was able to, to really soul search and delve into some truth and, you know, and some facts. And, you know, I have a different perspective and that's okay. You don't have to be stuck in the same perspective because people think that you have to hold yourself into that box or they don't want you to grow. It's okay. Give yourself grace for not knowing the things that you didn't know then. Give yourself compassion and love yourself for wanting to learn and wanting to grow with everybody. So, yeah. I agree. And when you get that uncomfortable feeling, discomfort is the signal you're challenging yourself. Right. Like I think one thing is, is this mindset of leaning into discomfort as an indicator that you are challenging yourself, which is the path to growth, which is like change is the only constant. And when we lean into discomfort, we oftentimes find out the other side is so much better, right? You either realize that, that your perspective is correct by challenging it, or you adopt a different perspective because it's better or it makes more sense considering this new set of information that you've got. And, you know, back to the whole thing of polarizing on social media, I think one thing that I see there, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, is this fundamental problem of, of presenting groups of people as undifferentiated masses based on their skin color, right? And not individuals with agency and with the ability to change, right? Like if you're white, you're an oppressor. If you're black, you're oppressed. And it's a really limiting way of framing this conversation because if those assumptions are there, it's really hard to have a nuanced conversation without feeling scared, right? And, you know, this, these monolithic color labels are that, that basically are put copy and pasted on extremely diverse experiences. Um, and, you know, this generalization of people, we need a deeper conversation. And I really think that the medium of podcasts is a is a perfect medium for this because you know the the black and white conversations title um really is kind of a play on words because we the gray is is the spot that is the place to be in complex topics and um and you know do you see that you know that that global categorization of people because i, I do so you see unjust. it quite often yeah yeah, yeah. And I think that's part of the problem is people are so afraid. They know that that label has been put on them. They're so afraid of confirming that label that they either walk away or they just aren't speaking out of truth to themselves because of fear. So. Absolutely. And I, and I think um, 
you know, like you said, that's why we just really wanted to create this gray area for everyone. You know, we don't want you to feel that, you know, if you're white, you have to, you have to side with white people. If you're black, you have to side with black people. It is right now. The truth of the matter is there's a problem mm-hmm. and there's a group of people that feels unheard. And as Dr. Martin Luther King said, writing is the voice of the unheard after they've made peaceful protests after they've tried everything that's when people start to riot if you think about your children and you have little kids and they're trying to get your attention mama 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 you get so you know we get so programmed to just hearing mommy 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 and you and as a as a parent you kind of tune out the noises you learn to tune them out over the years and you learn to only listen for that cry that sounds weird or that noise, that fall that doesn't sound like a a bump or a thump. And so it's the same thing with, you know, what's happening now. These are people that are writing because they, they feel there's a problem. So I don't want to diminish the issue of it being a black issue. Right. The goal is for everyone to understand that all lives do matter. But right now, when there's a group of people hurting, just like when the bodies hurt, when you get cut on your leg or cut on your arm, your whole body matters. But those white blood cells, those soldier cells are going to rush to the area that's hurt. And they're going to do work over time to make sure that's okay and get back to running through the whole body and making sure doing its little patrolling and making sure everything's okay. So, um, it, it is an issue that we're having with a specific group of people. And it's been a very, very long time. And um, we just want everyone to know that everyone matters. But if you take out the color aspect of it and you replace that color aspect with the word human, that's something that we all can identify with that's something that everyone here that's listening can empathize with because we're all humans and so as a human it isn't nice to feel oppressed as a human it's not nice to walk around every day and feel like you're on eggshells when you're at home and you feel like you're being oppressed in your marriage it's not nice to go home and work and serve others all day and come home and feel uncomfortable around your husband or uncomfortable around your wife. So by adding this human element into it, it helps those target everyone and and helps us all to connect and understand that we really are all connected together. And it's in the gray area, in the invisible area. And that's our goal is just to engage that process of inquiring with everyone analyze the things that you know you've been taught you've been told we're not trying to transmit knowledge we're just trying to you know engage ourselves into this you know learning process and um experiences you know we're they're just rich sources for learning and we're all here to share those experiences um you what know and so we can make we was. can make changes we can make changes and and love each other and help each other. And, you know, I, I think with the Foot Collective, I love that, you know, it started off as, as feet, but 
you know, the tribe realizes it's much more, you know, it takes sleep, it takes eating correctly, it takes an amalgamation of things. But if you really think about it, you, you might have someone out there who wakes up early in the morning, religiously every day, they, they have their coffee, they do their, you know, they, they go on their walk, they, uh, they exercise, they eat right, they go to bed and they have a pretty basic lifestyle. But if that person's soul is broken, if that person's spirit is drained, if that person feels oppressed, it's challenging to sustain the other things Mm -hmm. that come along with your health because that gray area and that invisible part is the understanding, is the truth, is the love. And so you have to be able to really hone in on that. And um, that's our goal. That's what we're here to do. So very well said. I love that analogy about the body part and the white blood cells. Cause that to me, that's been a polarizing thing, those words. Um, and I think you just beautifully broke it down and showed people that it is, it's always, it matters and it doesn't matter. And it's not that it doesn't matter, but it's always that there's context around it. And I think that, I think we all, myself included have, a tendency to see life through the lens that you see it through, right? Like I assume that this is how my life looks. This is how I live my life. And this is what I see in my life. And so the world must be like this. And I think that that perspective, when you layer it on to things that you're putting out into the world, whether that be content or podcast or whatever, can be very incongruent from the reality that other people see. And when you see one reality, when you see this, when you have a group of people who feel oppressed and who feel uncomfortable in their own skin and who see problems like deeply rooted societal problems that are, that are creating that situation. And you have another person that doesn't see any of that. There's going to be a clash until understanding is shared until one person shares their perspective and the other person listens and can hear that perspective to see that your lens doesn't actually tell the story of the world. And that's what I realized. It was like a, punch in the gut because I got a bunch, I kept resisting it because a lot of people saying things were actually just saying things out of anger. And I was like, Oh, this is toxic. But it was actually one conversation, one single conversation the day after that post, it was by, um, it was actually by a black NBA player and his, and that uses balance beams and his, the way, the tone that he had in the message he sent me had love in it. Like it was, it was, he was not judging me. He was not lecturing me. He simply said, I see what you're saying. This is the path to improve your understanding to, to be part of the solution. And it instantly made me really want to understand better that the other perspective. Absolutely. Because there is no other. We are all, we are all on this little marble and we need to understand each other in order to cohabitate in a way that allows us to all get a lot out of life right? Like there's so much to get out of life, but when there are problems that you're not seeing it, a good human will want to help solve those problems. So here we are. I think that Absolutely. was a one, that was a magical intro. Absolutely. <laughs> wow. That was just the intro. Wow. <laughs> okay. So you brought up a great point. Um, when we spoke kind of leading up to this episode and we talked about how covering history, of you know European colonization of 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 America and focusing on the European um, stuff because I think a lot of people uh, perhaps listening to this will understand American history but I think talking about history 
is how we can better improve the present and understand how to change the future. So why don't we dig into, and I'll let you take the lead on this, but um, I got a bunch of notes from the past uh, week of just kind of looking this up. Because even I, I told you this morning, I don't, we didn't learn history or, uh, that I remember. And there's a little asterisk there because it's either I wasn't listening because I wasn't interested, <laughs> which is, there's a high likelihood that that could be the case. But I really, I asked people that I went to school with and I was like, did we learn history? Like I feel so uninformed. And even I went to Portugal a couple of years ago and, I, you know, we were talking, myself and um, Olivia were talking to the waiter and, you know, he, we told him we were Canadian and he started going on about Portuguese and Canadian history. And we're like, wow, we don't know any of this. And he was like, you guys don't learn this stuff. That's crazy. And so, you know, this whole thing of having to basically relearn or learn for the first time, the history of how America was colonized, how Canada started. Like this is kind of, it's kind of fun actually. Right. And you said that back then, you know, your brain when you're in school is like, What's for lunch? How do I impress girls? Like if your brain's not thinking of history. So. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. You're not thinking of that stuff in school. I mean, and, you know, if, if, if everyone thinks back to, you know, going through their schooling, you learn a little bit of stuff in, you know, elementary school. And it's from my perspective and from my experience um, in Georgia, um, we learned we learned a little bit. I can remember <clears throat> we actually had a really fun activity. And I don't know if I should delve into it now or until we kind of cross that topic in a future discussion. But we did learn a little bit about American history in elementary school because we actually did it through simulations. Um, I'll go ahead and say it. Well, so I, I remember being in, I believe I was in third, maybe second or third grade. And at that time, we were learning about a little bit about American history and specifically the Underground Railroad. Hmm. And if you don't know about the Underground Railroad, Harriet Tubman was um, a slave and she helped, she she had a, a really jazzy system, if you will, of hiding um, slaves that were trying to get to the North, to the free states. And so typically at night there would be people um, who were and a lot of white people, a lot of white people. And it, and the reason that a lot of white people helped because white people could use their homes, their, their privilege, if you will, we'll, we'll just say, we'll put that out there, you know, <laughs> that'll be a topic that we'll dig into. That's sure. another one we'll dig into. So don't, don't, <clears throat> don't let that scare you off, but they <laughs> use their, their platform or their, um, you know, to hide blacks. And so mm-hmm. they would, you know, until they got to the North. And so, um, yeah, it, we, we did that in elementary school. We came to school and we were learning about the Underground Railroad and our teacher said, okay, they would send us in groups and there would be like two or three of us and we had to try to, and the whole school was in on it, but the schools would be doing their class as normal, but certain classrooms were designated to be the safe houses and we had to kind of roam the schools to try to figure out which one of these classrooms were the safe houses. That's amazing. It was the cool. And I, I was like in second or third grade and they, and they let us free. Of course, all the, the doors were locked and, you know, there were teachers around to make sure no one's running out the building, but it was the coolest experience to be able to walk in the classroom and everything be normal. Everyone's 
doing their thing. And the teacher kind of looks at you like you're in a safe place. You can go sit over in the corner. And then sometimes we run into a classroom <clears throat> where the teacher would be like, oh, no, you know, you're what are you doing? And then it'd be like, oh, we're busted. We have to go back. So it was a, it was a really cool experience to learn as a child. But you're right. When you're in elementary school and middle school and even high school, you're in those prepubescent years. You're not looking to I mean, history. Oh. It right. was such a bore for me. It was like walking in the classroom, take attendance, put on the movie, turn off the lights. Okay, nap time. I'm going to sleep for a whole hour, you know. <laughs> so you don't, <clears throat> pardon me, you don't, it doesn't, it's not something like recess or lunch or weightlifting or something that you look forward to or girls or boys. And so right. it's hard once you're an adult to have to say, man, I'm really going to have to dig into that and see what that really was about. Well, kudos to that teacher, like experiential learning as I'm, as I've sort of learned by doing, you know, by doing these seminars in 2019, I realized adults learn through experiential learning. I think it doesn't have to be just kids. It's like humans learn by doing experiences that create positive emotions, you know, whether it's through connection or movement or whatever. And the information gets held way more deeply through experience. And so that is an amazing what an amazing teacher to have gone to have realized that kids learn not by watching a movie with the lights out, AKA nap time, mm -hmm. uh, but by doing and playing and being uh, engaged with it and having it be exciting. And it's like, what a great way to teach that, that element of history. Absolutely. And I mean, what second grader is can mentally or emotionally, you know, project the, the, the consequences of an action or the trajectory of, of something that they're doing or they've done. And to be a second grader wandering through the school, trying to say, I need to find a, a safe place. You know, it's like this, us second graders could understand. We could, we get it. You know, mm -hmm. it's, we can empathize with that because we're humans and we're here running around trying to figure out who is safe, who, who's going to take care of me. So it like, you're right. Being immersed in that experience was invaluable. It was absolutely invaluable. Cause it really highlights the fact that it's not what you're teaching, right? I think it's easy to say, Oh, second graders don't want to learn about history, but, but that's basically just removing any creative element and the underlying assumption that kids don't want to learn this, which is false. Right. Kids love learning. They're learning machines. You just have to deliver it in a way that resonates with how humans learn and, and make it fun and engaging, right? No one likes to, burn, to learn uninteresting, boring stuff. We like to learn exciting things. We like to have tangible elements to that learning. So it's not that kids don't want to learn about history. It's that we have to figure out ways and empower teachers, right? Like giving them this rigid structure to the curriculum and rigid structure to how classes are run eliminates the creativity that we need to empower teachers with so that they can teach things in fun ways. Cause it's what way that was probably way funner for the teacher. Let's be real. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. And we all, we all left in groups. So we were all deployed in different groups. So you're, you're in, we were in class all day, but 8am the first group would go out and they, we, they, we'd return in, you know, maybe 20 minutes and then the second group. So all day we were just being deployed and experiencing what it was like to, have a group of people and to rely on these other two second graders, like, what are we going to do? Uh, you know? So it was so, it, it was, it was amazing, but taking out the, 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 the black and white from a human standpoint, imagine, mm -hmm. you know, from a human standpoint, having to 
think about those things as a human and then as a little bitty human who can't even, who isn't even emotionally developed to have to and shouldn't really have to deal with that type of burden, you know, that early. But it was, it was a great experience. And from a human standpoint, it taught me um, the help to really mold empathy, compassion, um, understanding. Yes. Yeah, very true. And I think, you know, not only did Harriet Tubman escape in a time where it was very hard for slaves to escape, but she actually kept going back to help others. Yeah. Like how that's, that's true. That's courage, right? Cause every time she went back, she was risking essentially being captured and way worse. What comes from being captured as an escaped slave. So Absolutely. that's, Wow. And it's, and you know, the fact that you said there were white people that used their resources to help, that's yeah. the gray. That's the gray that we don't talk about. Yeah. Right. And contribute. And by not talking about that, not to say that that's, it's like, oh, it's all good. White people were helping. No, that's, we're not saying that. But knowing that good humans act in alignment with what good, good humans should be doing, right? That know that things that are wrong, you need to play a, a part in solving the wrongs. And that was, um, it's very interesting. And I think, yeah. And it even, cause you know, the stuff that I looked up, um, it seemed like the first English colony was in, in Jamestown, Virginia. And one thing that I found really interesting was this initial inception of indentured servitude, right? Like where you weren't actually, um, a slave, but you were someone who signed a contract to agree to work for a certain amount of years which was basically the exchange you gave for transportation to Virginia in that point in time and the food and shelter and clothing as you worked. But after a certain amount of years, you were paid your freedom dues and you could buy your own piece of land. And that's, you know, I, I found that very interesting where it wasn't, it's not like slavery was just a thing right out of the gate. It was sort of this, it followed this sort of path, um, that was really took a weird kind of meandering journey. Um, yeah. 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 It was really, really interesting. And there's a, you know, there's of course complexity to that. Um, you know, you're right. That settlement being in Virginia and there were indentured plenty of indentured servants, you know, you had, um, in Europe, you had, um, Europeans who were, who were jailed and they needed people to come and colonize the U S. And so, um, alongside and along with the slaves that were, you know, taken to America, there were opportunities for indentured servants from Europe to come with as well. And so a lot of those Europeans who were jailed or, um, you know, had sentences, it was kind of that kind of same thing too, where, okay, if you come here and you help us get this together, then we'll give you your freedom and you won't owe anything, you won't owe any debt, you know, people that were jailed for crimes or debts or they owed money um, that kind of fell into that indentured servant category. Um, as far as the slaves, I mean, uh, slaves were taken from, you know, obviously the African continent, um, you know, a lot of the, the islands and they were brought over on the mass mass ships. Mm -hmm. um, and that'll be stuff that, you know, we can, definitely delve into as we as our discussion grows but it wasn't just slaves and that's something that maybe a lot of people don't know there were obviously a, there was a big slave trade i mean that was the 
the hot commodity, the industry. And but it's important to know that there were white indentured servants that had to work really hard and that had to work to to get their, you know, their freedom or their debt cleared or whatever. So there's a part of that that can, you know, that helps to underline the understanding and to help, you know, create that empathy as well. Yeah. And I think the understanding I got from the things I was reading was that if you were, um, you know, they said that 12 years after that first colony was founded, you started to um, begin having the arrival of African slaves. And, but it, it really, the impression I got was that if you're an indentured servant or if you're a slave from Africa, like everyone worked together. So the white indentured servants and the, and the black slaves would work together. Um, there was no, everyone's treated as a human, their circumstances of how they got there might be different, but there wasn't this like harshness associated with this or this brutality. It was basically, you know, it was, it seemed like a more respectful medium than what our impression of slavery is. And definitely it took a turn somewhere along the way and started going in a really dark place. But, you know, people were brought over as a labor, a solution to the labor problem, right? Like tobacco started growing society. And, and I really think that this is where this, you know, really at this point, it was a white male dominated society. Even the females were often in the initial days were often indentured servants and the males that were brought over or the, um, sorry, the indentured servitude people that were brought over and the slaves were predominantly male because they were the most potent form of labor, right? They were the most important labor force to be able to do the hard work of collecting, harvesting tobacco or processing cane sugar. And so this whole thing of like the white male essentially running everything, um, you know, one in five people were female and almost, and everyone in power was white male. This is where you see this like weird things start to emerge where there's one archetype of person that is ruling and doing what they can to maintain that position. So it's kind of, that's sort of seemed to me like that's where it started. And that was in the really early days. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And <clears throat> yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. Cause it was just so, and I just find it so interesting. Like it's, I, I, I never knew any of this stuff. This is brand new knowledge. And it's yeah. kind of cool learning history with an adult brain because you actually have the tools to learn efficiently. <laughs> yeah, you have the tools. And, and not only that, you have the experience to, to back it. You know what I mean? And, and although you may not have experienced that, your life experiences as an adult can help you to really understand the, the rationale, the emotional aspects to it. Whereas when you're a child, you really can't unpackage that stuff. You can't unpack, you can't even begin to, unpackage it or sort it out, you know, so mm-hmm. it's cool to learn. And that's why, like you were saying earlier, it's okay. If you don't know, it's, it's okay to admit that, wow, I didn't know this, or I was wrong about this, or because when you're a child, you think as a child, you know, and, and even if someone were to lay out all the encyclopedias and you're born on a stack of en- encyclopedias, you know, you still have the brain and development as a child. And so give yourself grace. That's why we're here so that we can, learn together and we can as adults and as humans who are seeking knowledge and seeking to better ourselves and to look at the next person and and better them that's why we're here to to do that so now if you were to define give yourself grace like i i have a good idea of what you mean by that but if you were to unpack that further what would what does give yourself grace mean to you give yourself grace give yourself 
be merciful to yourself, you know, be, be, be easy on yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, I think so it. often we, we beat ourselves up over stuff and it's so easy to, it seems like it's so much more easier to give our friends grace, you know, when, when they yeah. do something wrong to us or they bump into us or they knock our coffee over, it's like, oh, no worries, no worries. We immediately want them to understand it's no big deal. Like we can get over this. But many times the second we realize that we've, you know, hit our head in a topic, you know, of education, or we bumped our head when it came to being a good friend, we beat ourselves up over it. And we don't have to do that. You know, it's okay. It's okay to give yourself grace and say, you know what, Ashley, you didn't do so well today. Or Ashley, you know, you could have done a little bit better. But mm-hmm. that's life. That's experiences, experiencing and saying, you know what, tomorrow I'm going to attack it with a different mindset or a different, um, you know, try a different approach and just give yourself that grace. Give yourself that be easy on yourself, just as forgiving and easy as you would be with the next person. Yeah. Be that for yourself. And I think we are, you know, the most important conversations that the individual ever has in their life, I firmly believe are the conversations we have with ourselves. And like you said, they're the easiest conversations, you know, like, like we know how to, it's really easy to see a negative interaction, right? Like if you see bullying happening, you, people can see it, you can feel it, you can see it. It's very easy to identify. If you see someone berating someone or verbally abusing someone, you can see it. And yet we do it to ourselves without an inkling of tuning in and seeing that, wow, I'm being overly harsh on myself and I don't need to be. And I think that that self-talk um, really has an effect on the, on the conversations you have with others. If you're really, some people that are really angry at themselves will show outward angry, anger uh, sort of unconsciously. And yeah. I've started to take that approach now where if someone's really angry or really sad, um, th- it really is a reflection of their internal state. And you're right. We have to have better conversations with ourselves. And I thank you for the unpacking, give yourself grace. Cause I think that's a really important underlying kind of theme in this, in, in this whole topic, right? Where we're, you're not expected to be perfect, but you are expected to try and improve. And that's Absolutely. a big key. And that's, and it's willingness goes a long way. You know, willingness gets you, I've learned in my experience was that willingness gets you into a lot of places that, you know, people who don't, you know, it just gets you into a lot of places that others won't. It, it takes a willingness. It, it mm-hmm. simply takes a willingness. And some people, I learned this from um, years ago, I went to a, a class, I was learning about how to develop a small business. And I thought this class was going to be like, you know, build your small business one-on-one. So we get in there and the the guy tells us, if you thought this was going to be one-on-one, this is not. And I immediately saw like half the class, like so disappointed, like um, I'm going to leave. But he, he entitled it one-on-one to bait people to come in. But he sat that entire workshop explaining to us how important it was to really look into yourself before you even start to build a business. Because he said, whatever 
business you build is going to be an exact reflection of who you are. So if you are mean, if you're a blankety blank, 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 that's exactly what your business is going to reflect. And so that always really stuck with me. And he also said that many people miss opportunities because it comes dressed in overalls and it looks like work. Mm. And so this is one of those things where it takes a willingness. It is work. When you find that person that you want to spend your life with in a relationship and then you realize, man, they're a handful, it's work. But many people miss those opportunities because it looks like work and they think that it's going to be too much work. And so they, they forego the opportunity. And yeah. so this is one of those things where there's golden nuggets. There's an opportunity to learn. There's a, an opportunity to share power, share experiences and knowledge. And then as that learning happens, then it can lead to action and change. Yeah. And I think we, I, I feel like we were all sold this really deeply rooted lie that happiness comes from sitting on a beach with a, a, a beer or a, you know, a mar or a margarita in your hand, like happiness. We think that happiness comes when no problems are, when we don't have any problems, when everything's easy and comfortable. And that is not happiness. I don't think that, I think that's a straight up lie. I think happiness comes from a tolerable amount of struggle. I think humans are wired to be happy when we're challenged within the sweet spot of where we feel in control of that challenge. And that sweet spot size is actually determined a lot by your perception and how you frame challenges, right? If you frame every single challenge as an, uh, as an opportunity for growth and you lean into those things, well, your life is very different from the person who sees challenge as something to be feared. And I think the work is the path to happiness and happiness doesn't come when you have no problems and you have nothing to struggle with. It comes through struggle. And I think this is fundamental thing that I think um, creates issues for a lot of people, whether that's like you said, the relationship where once it gets hard, you just kind of tap out or once yeah. the business starts to be difficult, right? Like business is difficult. That's why, that's why so many people struggle with it. Cause it's very hard and you have to, I think what that guy did in that course is extremely potent because he essentially went a layer deeper than what most people thought they needed to understand to really address the foundation that everything you do in your life, including the business that you want to run is, is put upon. And if you have a weak foundation, it's going to be really hard to sustainably build that thing. You know, it's, it's kind of like the analogy we use with feet. If your feet don't work like they're supposed to, it's really difficult to build a strong, resilient, robust body with a weak foundation. Absolutely. And that's a great analogy, you know, with the, the feet thing, you know, with that being the foundation you have, you can't, there's no shortcuts to success. You know, there's none. And you have to weather that part. You have to have the foundation right. You can buy all the fancy. If you're building a house, you can buy the, the best materials. You can buy the best, uh, you know, I'm, I, I don't own a home yet, but um, the best brick, you know, to put on the outside, whatever it is. But if the foundation is not right, then it's inevitable that that, that, entity, that structure is going to experience some sort of faultiness, whether it's a crack and then 
the, the one side of the house starts to lean or shift or whatever the case is. And oftentimes I, I truly believe that we all know when we're building our foundations and that's whether you're building a foundation in your marriage, whether you're building a foundation with your children in your home, whatever the business, whatever the case may be, there are times that we see red flags and we see that there's some sort of asterisk or place where we should be delving or inquiring or digging deeper or where we should halt the construction of whatever it is. And oftentimes people think that, oh, well, if I just buy a better material or whatever, I can pacify it or band-aid it and it's going to be okay. And it just, ultimately, it's like you just do it the right way, you know, and, and it's hard. It's really hard and it's a slow process. And living in a society where many things are microwavable now, people want instant, you know, gratification or instant success. They don't want to, 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 to take the course, the trek. They don't want to go through the bad, you know, um, mm -hmm. success. I don't think rarely happens smoothly. I think it just kind of goes up and down, you know, yeah. uh, in waves. And so it, you have to be able to go with those ebbs and flows. And, um, you know, I, I read this somewhere years ago, but I, I definitely resonate with it, but it's always the bamboo that's stronger than the, the solid oak tree mm -hmm. because that bamboo is resilient. That bamboo will adapt, you know, that, that oak tree won't do that at all. So you have to be adaptable. You have to be flexible. You have to be flexible and you have to be willing to adapt. You know, a lot of people say, Oh, it's the survival of the, the strongest. And it's like, you know, if you even looking at Darwin's, you know, evolution theory, it wasn't the, the strongest that survived. It was the ones that could adapt to the resources when they became scarce or the, when the resources changed, their beaks changed to accommodate for the places they had to search for food. So you have to be flexible. Like you said, you have to be flexible. You have to be willing to adapt for sure. And it was the ones who collaborated. Like I'm reading this book right now by, um, I can't remember the guy's name, Douglas Rushkoff. I think it's called Team Human. And it's a beautiful book because he actually talks about how survival of the fittest isn't completely accurate. It was actually survival of the collaborators because working together was a far bigger impetus for survival than was trying to extract scarce resources to prevent the next person from getting them. And, you know, back to this whole talk that we're kind of on right now about foundations, I really think that part of the problem we find ourselves in is that we've sort of patched up society and the way that society works and is framed and the rules and the laws we have as time went on to try and improve. But the, these foundational elements and principles of how society was fundamentally shaped way back when might not have changed enough to give us the kind of permission to build a better, bigger world, right? Like some of these deeply ingrained things, if you don't change these foundational elements, well, you inevitably reach a ceiling on how many small improvements you can make, right? How many little laws you can change, how many things for equality you can put in there. But if the foundational assumptions that we're building everything on are inherently flawed, it sucks to revisit the foundation when you've built a whole house. Yeah. But you yeah. need to do it in order yeah. to actually create progress, right? Like at a certain point, if you try and build a 12-story skyscraper on a foundation built for two stories, you got to break the thing down. And I think we're seeing some of that breakdown happening right now where things are sort of in chaos, right? We're in this limbo point where a lot of things are falling apart. A lot of the 
structure of society is falling apart because we simply reached a breaking point where now we're being forced to sort of, okay, let's regroup team human. Let's hash out the things that we haven't talked about for a long time, which means that these are going to be very polarizing topics, but we can figure this out. And in fact, we need to figure this out because if we want our kids to grow up in a better world, free of these chaotic conditions, this is the work now that we do to create a better, a better tomorrow, next year, next decade. Absolutely. And I love that, that you said the team human thing. It's like, you know, that really pulls it all together. You're right. It's like team human. What do we do? You know, and you're right. You know, it, it's inevitable that you will reach a breaking point in any foundation if, if, or, you know, any structure, if the foundation isn't right. And, you know, like you, like we both were saying, um, when you do all that building and like you were saying, it, it really does suck to have to, to have to break things apart when you've come so far. And I think another thing that, that people kind of, uh, you know, it sucks uh, to put it lightly is when you say to yourself, man, I've come so far and I have to start over. But -hmm. when you knew when you're like, "Mm, I knew I should have stopped at that point though. So I have, then you start beating yourself up because you're like, (laughs) I knew it. I knew this is where things were weird and I should have, done something, but I didn't. I just kept building. I kept building. But then it also sucks when you have to break down this foundation or this this structure you've created. And when you get to the foundation, you realize the foundation's faulty and you had no part of that. And that's when it's the worst because it's like now you're having to break down what you've created on top of this foundation that you didn't create, that you built on a reliable or something that you perceived as a reliable foundation or truth or whatever that is. And now you realize that that wasn't what you thought it was. Now you're left to not only do the work, tearing it down, building it back up, but you're going to have to build a foundation. And, And a lot of times people will perceive that and say, well, that, you know, I shouldn't have to do that. You know, you, you hear stories all the time where someone says, oh my gosh, I bought a house last year and now, you know, the contractor came out and they realized that there's all these problems with the foundation because the the company before, the people that built the house did this wrong and now it's a big headache and everyone gets flustered. And it's hard, it's hard. And so that goes, you know, like we're saying, you know, from anything, it's just, it's hard to have to do that. But there's an opportunity in it. There's an opportunity to learn if at minimal, what do I really, really need in this foundation to make this sustain? Mm -hmm. So there's, you're never starting from scratch. You're always starting from experience. Yes. And when we get into rebuilding mode, that's when we're, that's when we're actually team human. Absolutely. Because right now we're still in kind of like some people are committed to breaking down the foundation. Other people are like, no, 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 it's, it's still good. It's still good. Yeah. And they want to convince themselves and it's like, no, right. Yeah. And it's and the divide created by these social media platforms that were sold to us as tools to connect each other, but are ended up kind of dividing us and polarizing us even more because of, you know, I think it was really, to be quite frank, unintentional, but I really think there's some fundamental design flaws in the way that we do social media um, and engineer these platforms where as soon as money goes into the mix and attention is now the product, 
um, you can get a lot of attention by making people argue, right? And that's this fundamental thing where, you know, when Twitter sets in motion an algorithm for a hot topic like racism to get way more people pouring their attention into Twitter, even if it's really bad energy, computers don't know the difference. They just want people engaging with the platform. And that's like, I think that's part of rebuilding the foundation is creating ways, you know, it's what we're going to try and do with TFC app is try and figure out a way to create a better community platform where there's actually connection that's fostered. And there's not these weird skewed profit motives that put us into paths that we probably didn't want to go down, but are now we're there and it's generating so much money that no one really wants to touch it. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, the next thing on my list in terms of history was to get into, uh, like deeper into slavery, but I'm almost thinking we should save that for the next one. And it would be kind of cool to just finish each episode by sharing a couple stories that we have, right. Stories of, you know, um, you know, from your perspective, stories of what is it like to have an experience as a black female in Texas? Like what are, you know, I think most people looking at it through their lens, like certainly for myself as a white male in Canada, I don't, I don't really truly understand what it's like to be in your shoes. Sure. And the, the things that you might face that remind you that the foundation is broken. So if you, if you're open to it, I'd love to hear some stories from you. Absolutely. Um, you know, there's one that I can definitely think of um, as far as my experience that's relevant to what's happening now with today's happenings. Um, again, I'm from Georgia, so I'm from one of the deep southern states. Um, I live here in Texas and I've been here for some time now. Um, but being, you know, born and raised in Georgia, I mean, if you're thinking of Georgia, Mississippi, Alabama, yep. Those are some pretty hot spots for a lot of um, the the beginnings of what's happening now. So my experience growing up again, I um, identify as a black woman. I am colored. I'm multiracial. So I'm some of my ancestors' wildest dreams. And I'm sure some of my ancestors would just be like, what is that? You know, but whatever, here I am. I'm a whatever it is, of it all. <laughs> here it is. What do we do with me? So um, when I was, one experience I had, which turned out to be so beautiful. So I have to share this. Um, I was in high school. And in high school, we had what we called homeroom. So when you came to school, you were alphabetically placed in a home classroom that basically in the morning, you got your news, you got you know updated information, and then you went throughout the day to your different classes. And so every day I'd walk in this into my homeroom class and the way- Was that, that homeroom all the same? Sorry to interrupt, but I'm just curious. Was it all the same age group or was there different age groups in the homeroom? You know what? Um, I think there were different age groups. Oh my goodness! Huh. Forgive me, high school, if I don't remember. Um, I, okay. I believe no one's was, holding you to that. <laughs> yeah, I believe there may have been different different age groups. Yeah, there had to be. There had to be. There was different age groups. But if there was something specific, like the seniors, we have this announcement. You know, for you guys, they would announce it. Um, so anyway, I walk in homeroom, and the way that our homeroom was set up, it was. You walked in and it was like a straight aisle just and there was one 
table at the back of the classroom that this straight line led to. And then on the right and the left side of the classrooms, there were, you know, desks and chairs. And every day that I would come into homeroom, there would always be, I mean, when I walked in, like I said, straight down, there was a table and, and chairs. There would be this white guy that sat there and I never, I, I'd catch eyes with him and I'd always nod my head. You know, I'd all, I wouldn't speak because I'd enter the classroom, but I'd always nod my head because I believe you should acknowledge somebody if you catch eyes with them. Mm-hmm. And so I'd always do that, but he'd never, he, he, there was just this very cold, very cold kind of energy that I would get from him. And so I just, whatever, just kept it moving. And one day I walked in class and um, I sat down beside a young lady and all of a sudden I hear this commotion in the back of the classroom and the teachers rush to the back of the classroom and the deputies are rushing in and they're pulling someone off of this guy, this guy um, that sat in the back of the classroom. There's another white male that's pulling him off. And ironically enough, this white guy that's being pulled off of this guy was someone I went to kindergarten with. I had been in kindergarten with for like all my, you know, well, all my schooling. And um, he goes, I'm sick and tired of, I'm sick and tired of it. Every single time she walks in this classroom, you call her a blank you know, the N word, and I'm not going to sit here anymore and listen to it. Wow. And that whole year, I always caught eyes with him. I always nodded my head and I, but I always felt this coldness. He never really smiled. He never nodded back to me. But every time I walked in, John would hear this guy say this. Hmm. And so, um, long story short, one day I, I walked to the back of the classroom and I said, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to talk to him. I'm just going to, I'm just going to try to make a connection with him and just try to understand. And so um, I sat back there and I said, Hey to him. And he just, he didn't say, Hey to me. And I just said, and I was young. So I, I said, do you have a problem with me? Um, you know, do you, and he's like, yeah. And I said, well, you know, like, what did I do? And he told me, he said, you're black. And I said, okay. I said, well, so are you, are you telling me that you're, and, and I, this is those hard conversations. Okay, everybody. So forgive me. Okay. Good for you. Wow. You're a badass. I love that you did this by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Nick. So, um, he, I said, so are you telling me that you're racist? And he goes, I am. And I mean, and he rocked, he, he was, he stood in it. He was, he wasn't afraid of it. I mean, and, and people knew him around the school for this as well. Um, because he wore all the stickers and anything that could say I'm that, that's what he, he did. And, and I said, well, I said, I respect you. And every time I see you, I nod my head. And I said, so if you want to continue being that way, then you continue being that way. But when I walk in here, I just expect you to give me the same respect that I give you. And the very next day when I walked in the classroom, he nodded his head at me. Wow. And then the very next week, he he would always have his head low, but he'd always kind of raise his hand, like, you know, trying to wave at me. And I'd kind of wave the same way. And it eventually 
by the end of the year, it got to the point where when I came in the classroom, he he had a chair next to him and he'd always asked me to sit beside him. And then here I was, this black colored woman walking through school with the Confederate flag, camo wearing, you know, everyone knew how he was. But he was so, 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 so incredibly sweet to me. I mean, I can't even tell you. It was like, I knew when I walked in school that I was going to get the best welcome from this guy. And that was the craziest thing I could ever imagine. And he told me, because I asked him, I said, well, why are you racist? And he said, that's just how I was brought up. You know, right. and that's and that was his only defense. He goes, that's how I was brought up. Mm-hmm. And the ironic thing is a year later, <clears throat> my older brother had graduated high school. I was still in high school and he was taking my siblings and I to school and our truck broke down on the side of the road. And so we were on the side of the road for about 30 minutes and a guy pulled up behind us to help us. And it was a white man and he opens the hood and he's looking around and you know, he's helping us and getting the car started. He finally gets it working. And he says, so do you guys go to school here? And we said, yeah, we go to school here. And he goes, yeah, my son goes to school here. And he's in, you know, 12th grade. And I said, well, I'm in 12th grade, you know, and he goes, well, you might know him when he, he goes, what's your name? And I told him my name, his face just turned so red. And he's like, you're Ashley, you're the one that my son talks about. Oh my God, this is a crazy story. It's the craziest thing. So can you imagine? So he helped you. And he, the son was was the son there? No. The son wasn't there. It was his dad. Oh is that not goodness. the oddest thing that of all the people who could have helped us at with our truck broken down, his dad pulls up to help us? I didn't know. But once we exchanged information, it was like, oh my gosh, this is the guy who taught his son to be racist. This is the guy who, you know... <laughs> whose son got like beat up in class because he called me this name. But this guy, this is also his son who now walks me to my classes every day now, you know, and to know that your son is coming home telling you about this girl and now you've met her and she's black. It was a really, it was such an irony. I mean, just such an ironic situation, but we ended up being so close. I mean, so, so close. And I I think it really kind of helped his family as well. It helped him to gain some courage to talk to his family. And um, to this day, I mean, shout out to Jared, if you're out there listening. Um, sorry to put you on blast, but you're a great human. Thanks <laughs> it's for- a, It's a good blast. Don't you worry, know, it's Jared. a good blast. You know, there's growth. And so that was one of, you know, experience that I had. I've, I've had other experiences that I'll, I'm honored to share with everybody, but that was one. And you know, I could have easily at that time just been like, I'm going to go and find all my black friends and rally or, you know, white, black and white friends and go, you know, yell at him. But there was an opportunity wow. and just an opportunity to gain some understanding and some insight. And I think once we just realized that, you know, we could both talk and we could both be respectful of each other. And, you know, I was another human being. I was just I had a little bit more melanin pigment in my body, you know, in my genetic makeup. But when we cut each other, when we cut, we both bleed red. When you Mm -hmm. open us up, we're both pink on the inside. And I think once we realize that, it's like, man, you know, we're we're both actually pretty cool people. 
Um, so yeah, that was one of my experiences. Oh, I think we, we can't, we can't tell another story. That is the best (laughs) story I've, cause that is so powerful. And, you know, as you were saying this story, you know, what was going through my head was like that kid at some point was a baby that had no preconceived template for not liking people that have a different skin color. So he is only doing, he's, he is only behaving in a way that's consistent with how his parents raised him and probably their parents raised them. Yeah, absolutely. And you broke the chain. You broke the chain so powerfully that the parent who bred that kid to be racist helped you on the side of the road. Yeah. That is so powerful. That is hope. I think, because that is the polar opposite of two people on polar opposites of a continuum. And it could have gone a very different way. Yeah. But you were, you were literally the leader that took the initiative and took the challenge to lean into the discomfort that would come from, surely would come from encountering and having a conversation with someone who is known and proud to be a racist. Yeah. And that completely changed his perspective in life. That is yeah, so he's powerful. He's a cool dude. He's a cool dude, man. And once I got to know him, I'm like, you're actually really cool. You know, you really are. So yeah, it's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful experience. Really, really, really. Amazing. Well, I think that's the perfect way to wrap up this first episode. And we hope that, you know, this gives everyone an intro to who we are, who Ashley is, uh, more importantly, because I think your perspective is extremely powerful in sharing through these episodes. And so I think trickling in some of our stories, mostly your stories, um, and trickling in some history, um, but also I think you and me engaging in the conversations on hot buttons, like, you know, things like white privilege or um, things like, you know, all of these hot button topics that people don't want to go near us feeling comfortable to go near them and cover them and go through all the gray to show that it's not just one or the other. It's not just black or white. There's a lot there to talk about. Um, I think it's going to be a powerful medium for people to be able to, you know, maybe engage with a topic that they've been scared to engage with. And like you said, you know, maybe you don't have, you don't have to tell people that you're listening to these episodes, but I think our aim is just to improve understanding and, um, yeah, anything you want to say before we finish up? You know, this has been absolutely wonderful. I I mean, I can't wait until the next episode. I, <laughs> I'm so grateful to be here. And for all the listeners, I'm so proud of each and every one of you. I'm e- proud of each and every one of you as far as your, what brought you here, um, what, you know, why you continuously support and listen to the Foot Collective. And I'll tell you that there's no... There's no mistake why you're here today and listening to this podcast. Um, you know, it's, I think everyone, like you said, you, you never learn everything. Life is just about a steady progression and a steady elevation. And I think if you have the willingness and you want to really reach, you know, that whole body health, then you have to acknowledge that you have to visit that gray area. You have to gain some clarity. You have to be able to navigate, like you said, Nick, lean into the unknown and um, go to uncharted territory and um, inquire. And don't be afraid to, you know, don't be afraid to. And, and another thing, you don't have to tell anybody what you're doing. 
you can stay in a secret place of of learning, of growing, of getting knowledge. Um, there may be a storm, you know, in a figural way just surrounding you. But if you're in that secret place where you can really just seek knowledge and really dig into yourself and um, you'll find that you'll begin to be calm amidst the storm and you won't pray for storms to leave anymore. You'll just realize that, wow, I can sit in the midst of the storm and be peaceful. And so I think that's our hope is just to let you guys know that we want um, to see every human improve. We know that humans have the capacity and the potential to be as great as we were designed to be mentally, physically, emotionally. And this is part of whole body health is visiting the gray area, you know, the invisible area. And that's why we're here. Um, so please, please, please come back. I know we have a lot more interesting things to say. If you are an expert out there listening, if you know an expert, if you know someone who can contribute to, you know, some of the discussions that we've had, um, or even the future discussions, please bring that, you know, we're not the, the experts here. We just want to create an environment where you all feel safe and you all feel comfortable listening, giving, you know, giving your input, sharing your perspectives. And, you know, we hope that it inspires you to inspire others so that we can all hold hands and be, you know, healthy humans, healthy, happy humans. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I look forward to seeing and hearing from you guys soon. Beautiful. So we are going to put these podcasts not only on the audio project, but we're also going to put them on YouTube. So commenting on the YouTube um, video is probably the best way to reach out with anything, uh, any input or feedback on things that we covered or things that you'd like us to cover. Um, we're happy to look at all of those before we do each episode. We're going to do one of these per month. So thank you everyone for listening. Thank you, Ashley, so much for sharing your story and thank for you, taking the time for this conversation. We hope you all enjoyed this. We'll catch you next month. Much love. Much love. Much, much love.